Hello, I'm Dan Aykroyd, and welcome to this fine motion picture emporium. It's nice to know you're here tonight, rather than at home shoving cheap little plastic cartridges into cheap imported video systems that keep you and your family hostage in your own home or apartment. Now, let's face it, big screen entertainment is what it's all about. We've enjoyed it for years. Movies are great. There's nothing like a good movie, or even a bad one for that matter. I don't. 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 All right, let's do it. Go. Hi, I'm Joe Spiegel. This is Mike Sullivan. This is an escape movie review. So, hi, how you doing? Is that how we should do it? No. <laughs> Try it again. Well, how about this? Welcome back, my friends, to the podcast that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside. Come inside. I am Joe Spiegel, and you are Mike Sullivan. Yes, you are. All right. This is our Underworld Blood Wars episode. We're going to talk about that fine motion picture. We're also going to talk about our flicks of the week, which mine is going to be the 2016 film Dog Eat Dog, starring Willem Dafoe and Nicolas Cage. And yours is going to be? Death Wish. Death Wish. Aren't they going to be remaking that? They were supposed to. They're going to be remaking everything eventually, I guess, but the carrot. Hey, that's starring Rob Schneider. <laughs> yeah, that's who it is. Rob Schneider is the carrot. Um, flaming carrot. So we're going to talk about those. Um, de- what year did Death Wish come out? 79? Something like that. All right. All right. Starring Charles Bronson. All right. So, 74. Ooh. And then it, 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 what did it? You don't need to get into it. Just go. Yeah. Different studio did a bunch of sequels, right? Okay. So. All that and more on a couple of average Joes. Cinescape. <laughs> Take it away. It's a Cinescape movie podcast. How difficult is that? Well, you know, it's it's like, uh, you know. You, How difficult is it to say the Cinescape movie fucking podcast? You've been r- rubbing the clitoris a certain way for so many years, and then all of a sudden she slaps you on the head and says, nah, 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 this, nah you're using the wrong letter when you're humming. Joe. We've had more than two months to work this out. So, How difficult is that? Cinescape movie reviews. Take it away. Johnny. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. <laughs> Meanwhile. All right, so uh, because it's the beginning of the year, uh, Mike and I... Uh, have a very limited amount of uh, selections when it comes to uh, what movies are coming out. And uh, Underworld Blood Wars came out, which is the fifth in the series. Uh, it's the fourth in the story of Selene because part three is Rise of the Lycans, which is a prequel before all of the events of any of the movies. It's like, what was it, like 500 to 1,000, 500 to 1,000 years before the original film. Right. Um, and actually, that one is... Probably my favorite out of all of them. I thought Rise of the Lycans was actually a decent movie. <laughs> um, all the other ones, though, I think suck. And you didn't like the first one? No, not really. I, I thought it was a bunch. It was just a shitload of wasted potential um, of a film. You're wrong, but okay. I, I it had a it had a like a like when you saw when you first saw the trailers for it. I'm like, dude, this looks like a fucking vampire version of The Matrix. It looks awesome. It looks dark and and cool, stylish. And badass and, and and sexy and and then it comes out and it's just it's just missing that something that's something. Um, I'll give you an example. When I was unemployed for three and a half years, back in you know two thousand eight through two thousand eleven, um, I had moments of boredom. There's nothing to do. You know, I guess I could have went and looked for a job, but fuck you. So don't judge me on that. Um. I went through spurts where I, I wanted to buy certain movies. Like I went through a Kevin Costner spurt and whatever other kind of spurt, and I'd be buying certain movies. Sometimes I would buy movies that I didn't really even want, but it was just to buy a movie. Well, I went and I bought the first two Underworld films, and which were, you know, Underworld and then uh, Evolution or whatever. And I took them home and I watched them both, and I was just, the whole time it was like nothing. It just didn't do anything for me. And then I, went, I used to go to the drive-in a lot. So I went to the drive-in and I saw Rise of the Lycans. I actually liked it. It wasn't bad. It was actually a good movie. It had Michael Shannon in it, who's a very good actor. Uh, so, all right, all right. And then Underworld Evolution or Underworld Awakening comes out. 
back in like I don't know 2012, and I think someone bought it for me because I have it on Blu-ray, and I know I didn't buy it because I wouldn't fucking buy another Underworld movie. Okay, but, but I have it, and I watched it, and I'll tell you what, <clears throat> if this movie hadn't have done this Blood Wars hadn't have done a flashback to events that happened in all the other movies, including Awakening from four years ago. I wouldn't have remembered anything about it. I didn't remember that she had a fucking kid with the guy that she banged in the first two movies. I totally forgot. I didn't know anything. I don't remember shit about it. And that's how <clears throat> lacking these movies are to me, is I don't remember anything about them because they don't hit me on any level whatsoever. And this movie, this movie actually was entertaining enough to keep watching. Uh, but <clears throat> all in all, I, I don't I don't really give a shit. And, and I, I got kind of tired of the same look. These movies always look like it has always has this 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 bluish gray haze over everything. And look, I love clouds. I love cloudy days. I love the ambiance of it. But when I'm watching these movies, it just doesn't work for me. I don't know why. It, but the whole time I'm watching this, I feel like I'm watching the scene from a morgue. It, it's just gloomy and, and boring. And and I'm just not really feeling it, Mike. I'm just not feeling these movies, and I I understand why they keep making them. It's just like with the Resident Evils, man. They keep making them because they keep making money, and Kate Beckinsdale is hot as shit. I get it. I I understand, but you, my friend, will never drag me to another fucking Underworld movie again, and they already said that they're going to make a sixth one, all right? The director said it, and he also said Beckinsdale. I always say Beckinsdale. I always say Beckinsdale. I don't know why, but Beckinsale is coming back. Again, okay. <clears throat> These movies are lackluster to me, just like um, say, like if you watch Day Watch and Night Watch, you know, like they try to go big with certain things, but it still just doesn't hit you, and it's not hitting me. I, but you liked it more than I did, I think. So. No, I didn't. No, but you like the series more than I do. I like the first movie. You like what did you think of Evolution? See, I don't even remember shit about Evolution. I don't remember shit about it. Exactly, it, it's just fucking. Oh, it's vampires versus werewolves again. Oh, well, now we've got a, a hybrid. And now both sides want the hybrid so they can destroy the other side. And then we can do Walk in the Daylight. And then we can fuck with vampire. I, I See what I... Huh. Yeah. See what I mean? No. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't... I, these movies just all feel like the same thing over and over again. That's pretty much what it is. Uh, all these characters that are in it, when I looked up the bios for for the actors in this film, there's like four or five characters in this movie that were played by different actors in other movie, other in the other movies. So the movie can't even keep fucking proper track of of its characters. What? They do just fine with it. I don't. Well, and I don't remember this guy. Who's this guy? I don't know this guy. I feel like I feel like someone who's never seen a movie before going into some shit. I, I just. Why does my phone have to alert me every five fucking minutes that there's a flood in Sacramento County? I don't know. It's doing the same thing for me, too. It's not just Sacramento. I'll get fucking Amador County. I don't need Amador County. I don't live in fucking Amador. (laughs) Fuck, man. You know what? Guess what? You know the thing about floods, Mike? If it's affecting you, you already fucking know it before your phone tells you. Yeah. All right. So, assholes. (laughs) So, yeah. The first Underworld, man, I, I just... Like I said, it had promise and it just did not deliver for me for the most part. It just was dark and dirty and and, and just, I didn't give a fuck about anybody. I, I just didn't. All right. Um, this one is directed by uh, Anna Forster, who um, she directs a, a sci-fi show on, um, fuck. Oh, it was Does there. it really fucking matter? Yeah. Well, she has like f- actors that were, that were in that, that are in this and. Anyway, whatever. Um, I don't, I don't have much to say about this movie, dude. It, it's like I said, it feels like the same thing again, just, just a few different faces. Um, the lady that's running the Eastern fucking section vampires, uh, her character's name was Samira, played by uh, Laura Pulver. She looked like to me like um, Parker Posey, who played a vampire in uh, Blade Trinity. You know, she played an asshole vampire. Well, in this one, Pulver plays a fucking asshole vampire who secretly 
um, you know, planning, plotting behind everyone's back and shit. Well, that's what vampires do. <laughs> that's what they do. They'll blood suck us on <laughs> No, they're... In order to get anywhere within the covens, obviously, power and power and power. That's yeah. what you need to do, so... Pow! I could have said that way louder. Hold way louder. All right, so... <laughs> This movie is dreadful. <laughs> I, I mean, I like Bleak. Kate Beckinsale. The only reason why I wanted, saw, I wanted to see the movie was just for something different, you know, to wash 2016 away. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Most, the mediocrity of it. Yeah. I mean, I like Moana and stuff like that. So that was a different. That was that. It ended 2016 well for me mm-hmm. with the movies. But I wanted to start 2017 off with something other than like The Revenant or whatever other movies we had seen prior in January's, uh, you know, of years past. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, fuck it. You know, we'll go see Underworld. I'm not having any high expectations of this movie anyways. This is not, you know, Academy Award winning material. Anna Forrester is not a movie director. Fine. She's a TV series director. And that's actually what I was looking up was to find out what she directed. But every character in here, with the exception of Charles Dance and Kate Beckinsale, sucked. <laughs> I liked, I liked the uh, when they had to go to the North, the Nordic Coven. Coven, yeah. I was fine with that. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it. It gives a different look on like pacifist vampires. You yeah. know, and that was cool. I like that. But the problem is, is that you have this MacGuffin, and the MacGuffin is Celine's daughter, who is both vampire and werewolf, and Celine, who is the chosen one. <laughs> you know, yeah. Everybody's a chosen one in every single movie. Instead of instead of giving us something that we can relate to, you know, I mean, it's hard to relate to vampires and werewolves, but you could still relate to them. I did like the bad guy, the the werewolf bad guy. Yeah, Marius. because he wasn't killing. His own kind. He was uniting them and treating them as equals. Yeah. You know? Then we find out that he's in a tryst with this vampire. <clears throat> but the whole the whole Celine brooding thing and on her own and that they need her and that they're that it's all a setup to so that they can pin all the murders on her anyways. It's just so much bullshit. Yeah. It it gets to the point where when when are you going to give us something that's actually good? You know what? Watching this movie was like watching those softcore porn movies on HBO late at night where you're waiting for them to get through all the boring dialogue just to the fucking so that you can do your thing, right? That's this movie. Every time they started talking, like a male and female character were talking to each other, I was just like, dude, can you guys just fuck? Yeah. I'd rather see you guys fuck than, than, than have, hear you talk about... I'm gonna do this and you're gonna do that and we're gonna do this together. Blah 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 blah. I don't care. I'd rather see fucking than that. If I look, I love sex. I'm, I'm like any other. Can we? Know. Can we use some a different visual? Great. We you, uh, <laughs> look. I'm like any hot blooded guy. Okay. I know, but you're still going on with it. Can I? Can I finish? Can I finish? Can I finish? Okay. But when when a movie is so boring and bland that I would prefer just to see that over any kind of actual substance, that's a problem. That's what I'm trying to get at. I understand. I know what you're saying. Also, another thing, um, this movie was really weird with all the blood tasting. It was always this uh, sample. It was like the, the sampler, like a like a seized box candy of sam- blood sampling. I got to take, oh, the, we taste this blood. And oh, I got this memory, and I'm teaching this blood. I got this memory. Well, that's it, the whole point of the blood thing is to gain their memories so that you can figure out what's going on. That that's been established throughout the entire series. I, I don't remember that from the other film. I'm not I saying you're wrong. Just told you that. I don't, but I don't remember. It. But in this movie, it seemed really prevalent. Like it, it was like the Vulcan mind meld of this movie. They only really did it once. They did it with the mom's blood. Then they had all the other vampires test the blood. And then that was it. And people were tasting um, Celine's blood. Different people, a few different people tasted Celine's blood. And then also, uh, Celine tasted the wolf guy's blood, Marius's blood. Right. And then she found out the truth about her, her ex. Right. You know, and then he gets killed. And, and I don't know. It just. There was only a handful of times that they did it. But look, that was, that was actually the decent part of the movie. Okay. That's, but it's been established in all of the movies. Whether you remember it or not is inconsequential. 
but they've been doing it since the very first movie. Okay. And it's explained in order to this for this to happen, you can get it's also in in the game series. If if you were aware of uh the controversy with the first underworld movie, White Wolf role playing game has vampire and werewolf. Mm-hmm. And and they they sued and won, but it's all confidential. They sued and won against... Which means there was a settlement. Yeah, against the makers of Underworld stating that there's 80 different similarities. Um, or, yeah, 80, 80 different... Yeah. Here it is. Uh, the film was subject of a copyright infringement lawsuit by White Wolf Incorporated and Nancy Collins, claiming the setting was too similar to Vampire the Masquerade and Werewolf the Apocalypse. Uh, both set in the World of Darkness setting and the Sonia Blue vampire novels, which I have no, I, I don't even know what the fuck those are, but I'm, I'm looking them up. Uh, White Wolf filed 17 counts of copyright infringement and claimed over 80 points of unique similarity between White Wolf's game systems and the film. He also, White Wolf also said that the script was similar to a story entitled The Love of Monsters, which they published and was written by Nancy Collins uh, in September 2003. The judge granted White Wolf an expedited hearing. The lawsuit ended in a confidential settlement, which means that they had to <coughs> they had to pay out a fucking ton of money uh-huh. to White Wolf in order for this. Plus, they probably have to give them profit. Blah blah Royalties blah blah. blah. And um. <clears throat> now, I mean, when I first saw when I saw the first movie, um, I thought what they did was actually not too bad. I, I I enjoyed it for what it was, um, and expected the series to move forward at a different clip than it went, you know. And, and then they went and did a prequel for the you know the Lycans, and that was fine. Yeah, it, it was okay. But all of these movies, just as Joe said, is it's a one long boring setup for nothing. <laughs> this movie has no ending. It literally has no ending. Yeah. And w- everybody's expecting to find Celine's daughter. And then when you think it's Celine's daughter, she has, she goes, we see her sitting, you know, at this castle in, you know, the Nordic coven. She's, she's, you know, at the base of the castle. And this girl walks up to her and we don't even know who the fuck that is. Yeah. Like it's a memory or something like that. Yeah. It's supposed to be your daughter. Yeah. So. That's that's all left up to you know, left up to the to the story mechanics. The whole problem with the movie is that it just moves along at a clip that isn't, for lack of a better term, interesting. Yeah, great. Okay, so the Lycans are in London or wherever they are. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and they're they're at the train platform, but everybody uses the train platform to go from point A to point B, you know, but the Lycans are there loading weapons onto trains. I don't even know what they're doing. Uh, preparing for the apocalypse? Yeah, uh, apparently. <laughs> I Who knows? I mean, there is no real... You know what? And here's, a, here's another thing. There's no real the, reason the, for them to be there. The third movie, the prequel film, Rise of the Lycans, shows that the Lycans are actually a sympathetic character. Because of how they were treated. They were treated like slaves by the vampires for hundreds of years, right? And so it's to make you understand why they are the way they are now in the present about vampires. And then they don't do anything with the lichens. They, they, never, they never show you anything sympathetic about them. They show their leader who comes off as this fucking asshole piece of shit who's just trying to kill everybody, except his own lichens, of course. But it... it, it there, there's no one to really root for. It was like, what was the point of showing the Lycans in part three as a sympathetic character to only have them not just be the same old villains again in this one? Yeah, even if they're villains, they're not really villains. They're just products of... Drones? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to let you know, Anna Forrester worked second unit films on Alien Resurrection, mm-hmm. Ballistic X vs. Sever, which is considered one of the worst movies ever. Still never seen it. Johnson Family Vacation, The Day After Tomorrow, Ugh. Eon Flux. Yeah, a lot of uh, Emmerich films. 10,000 BC. She was also uh, visual effects uh, for Independence Day, Godzilla, Pitch Black, and Stuart Little 2. 
And then she directed numerous TV episodes of Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds Suspect Behavior, three episodes of Unforgettable, and four episodes of Outlander. And I can only assume that every one of those things that she's touched on were probably the worst or close to the worst episodes. She is a product of Roland Emmerich. <laughs> and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. We just talked about Independence Day, you know, resurgence in our worst of, best of of 2016 and we get someone like Anna Forster that is a product of a a lineage of bad directors. Yeah. You know, at least some of the good stuff, I guess, you know, I did Emmerich. Um, if Emmerich, I can't remember if Emmerich did uh um his best film was probably The Patriot. Yeah, but uh see, I don't understand this. Uh okay, so he began his work in the film industry by directing the film The Noah's Ark Principle as part of his university thesis and co-founded Centropolis Entertainment. He's a collector of art and an active campaigner for the LGBT and is openly gay. So what? Why is that, why is that fucking important? Um, because until everyone is understanding and accepting of it, it's still news to it's, people. It's not news. Uh, well, he was a executive producer on Eight-Legged Freaks. There we go. The other Emmerich was responsible for a couple of good TV series. I just can't remember which ones they were. Noah Emmerich? Yeah, or whoever it is. But again, he Roland Emmerich is not a great director. He's not even a good director. I forgot he's a, he did Universal Soldier. He's a fucking mediocre director. <clears throat> and when when it comes right down to it, see, he did White House Down. Ugh. When you have people that are part of this, uh, how do I? Culture? Yeah. Look, when George Lucas created ILM mm-hmm. and and you have all these people that worked with him, James Cameron, you know, uh, Frank Darabont, um, uh, Joe Johnston, even Steven Spielberg. Kasdan. Yeah, Kasdan. And then you have the Steven Spielberg. So you have Lucas and Spielberg, okay? And you have Scorsese. And a couple of others that Brian De Palma and whatever else, and then you have it's it's like it's like the it's like the NFL, you know. We have Bill Walsh and his proteges, right? And then they go out and become head coaches, which is like Mike Holmgren and and Mike McCarthy. And then you have Bill Parcells who has his own proteges and the and the Belichick and all that other stuff, yeah. right? And it just keeps going. It, it grows. You have good ones and you have bad ones. Well, Emmerich is like. He's like um he's like the Chip Kelly of directors okay. if you want to call it that. Um he's not a good director. He's 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 mediocre like I've already said. With the exception of The Patriot, nothing he's done is really worth the film it's printed on. He's a made for TV movie with big budget. Yeah, and and then he has he has this protege, he's like Anna Forrester who continues along this path of destruction. That everybody thinks, oh, because you know she's she's got connections with Emmerich, that makes her an, an automatic shoe in for being good. Mm. But she's not. She's she's a mediocre director. She's it's like a TV Lindelof, director. how he was connected with J.J. Abrams for so long. Yeah, and now you know, oh, because of that, he can ride the coattails. Right, but you haven't heard from Lindelof in a long time. Yeah, since uh, Simon Kinberg, the same way. I'm not a fan of Simon Kinberg because some of the stuff that he's touched. Is garbage, mm. but when you look at some of the stuff that he's, you're always gonna have good and bad. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Not everybody's gonna like what you touch, but when you have a consistent history of bad stuff, you're you're not good, mm. and that's what this comes down to. Underworld is consistently not good, <laughs> and that's the problem with this film franchise. Is when when Len Wiseman started directing it and started dealing with all this stuff. The problem is, is that he is not, he, he's, he, oh. Oh, oh there you go. Uh, assistant on a number of Roland Emmerich films. <laughs> Stargate, Independence Day, Godzilla. Well, there we go. Yeah. You know, and like he did Live Free or Die Hard. That it, was great. It was a fucking great movie. I love, that was the greatest PG-13 action movie I've ever seen. And it's even better R, but who wrote it? You have one person that wrote, Mark Baumbach wrote, and two people that contributed to the story. Yeah. Okay? So when you have a single person doing the story, you can keep it under 
you can keep it under control. When you have 86 people writing this story, like Total Recall, the, the Total Recall remake wasn't that bad. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. I fell Look, asleep watching it. Story by one, two, three, four, at least four people, and two people, Mark Bomback again, mm. <laughs> helped with the screenplay. So you have one person that got a story by credit and is also part of the screenplay, and then the rest of the people aren't part of the screenplay. Well, let's check out one, two, three, four, five producers, story by Corey Goodman. Kyle Ward and Corey Goodman did a story by well, who's Corey Goodman? Probably another. I, we're we're way off base on this one, but um, Priest Apollo eighteen, The Last Witch Hunter, and The Last Witch Hunter was one of my worst films from twenty fifteen. Okay, I I don't know what the movie Priest is, but Priest was um with um uh, no. Jarvis um uh, God the actor who plays Jarvis. Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany, thank you. For some reason, Bellany, Bellamy got popping in my head. Uh, Paul Bettany was also in Priest. It, it was uh, it was where he was uh, pursued by other angels and. Oh, uh, I thought it was Legion. The, the Legion was very similar to Priest, and they both had Paul Bettany in them, which was odd. I don't remember seeing it. Oh, that was before us, anyways. Priest was hated on by everybody. Yeah, so he's responsible for Priest, The Last Witch Hunter, and Underworld Blood Wars. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm I'm sorry, but when 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 you have three movies that just don't fucking work. Oh right, okay, I remember this movie, Vampires. See, I, I <laughs> I'm a priest. You know, it had a big train in it and everything else. Yeah, yeah, I remember this movie. I actually thought the idea behind it, it was a graphic novel. <laughs> the idea behind it was not bad. I looked up the graphic novel just to see what it was like. Mm-hmm. But I think I saw that at the drive-in. Yeah. This, again, it, it's generally hated on. <laughs> yeah. And you don't see anything else that he's, he's supposedly working on another movie called Lore. But, okay, okay so going back, who cares? <laughs> Corey Goodman is... <laughs> Is like Damon Lindelof, mm-hmm. you know. Who cares? It's it's fucking terrible. But aside from that, look, there's a lot of problems with this movie too. The fact that you know when you, the myth and the lore of vampires is running water, they can't cross running water. Uh-huh. They when in order to kill a vampire, to really kill a vampire, you have to stake them and cut off their head. Yeah. Okay. In this movie. You know, they get killed by sunlight. That's fine. You know, that's another way to kill them. So they're using UV bullets. And that's fine. That's already been established. But the one thing that was stupid is they're slicing the necks of the vampires yeah, they or breaking out. their necks. Yeah, they could bleed out. You know, it's, it, yeah, no, yeah, not just bleed out, but literally breaking their necks, mm-hmm. which doesn't make any sense because you're not severing the head. The, the body can re, the vampire body can rebuild itself. Yeah. Just pour some fucking blood in their mouth. Okay. So you you have that, and then everybody, oh, you know, they're dying out and whatever else. And they're getting shot, whatever. None of this makes sense. You know, Silver doesn't kill a, van- a werewolf. Silver just delays a werewolf. There's other things that will kill a werewolf. But if the silver is taken out of a werewolf's body after it's been deemed dead, then it will come back to life. So that's how that works. You have to keep the silver in the body, mm. or you cut off its head with a silver, with a silver object. You can fucking kill it, kill it with a silver spoon. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> but uh, this movie is like this fucking review. It's everywhere and nowhere at once, <laughs> and it tries to be more than it is. Yeah, I'm just trying to wrap my head around this entire movie. Yeah, and then also the 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 whole every movie she gets an upgrade. You know the first. Like in the last couple of movies, now she's um she's a uh fucking what do you call it? She's immune to sunlight, right? Right. And then this now in this movie, now she can move really really fast, and she can fucking well. We've already they've already told us why she's immune to sunlight. They've already told us why that she can move really fast. We've that was already established earlier on in the movie when they visited the Nordic Coven because they had a different different way of dealing with things. Yes. Yeah. Or, or training people. But she gets another upgrade. Right. Okay. 
And it's like it's like a video game. Well, yeah, when's it gonna get to this point where what she's? I mean, is she the chosen one? <laughs> well, yeah, she is obviously. It's, it's just, <clears throat> but I want to know how is it that in her time of healing near the end of the movie that she was able to get frosted tips, <laughs> get her hair done. Well, if you if you notice, all of the vampires that were in the Nordic Coven, yeah. had silver hair. Yeah, so it's being dipped in that pool. Or going through these the this cocoon like thing, where yeah. they're they're evolving. That's where that comes from. So her hair is slowly becoming that that shade of white. Okay, if you want to call it that. So she's being whitewashed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, I, there was. I mean, some of the action wasn't bad. I, I love that part. The part that was really cool was when the David guy. Jumps out of the water and he slices the werewolf in half. Uh-huh. That uh, was kind of cool. Yeah. It was gross, but cool. Yeah. Gross and cool at the same time. But it would call it gruel. But it was, but still, it was like, oh, here's another old, bald, white vampire who looks the same as this other old, white, bald vampire <laughs> saying he approves or disapproves of this shit, you know? And, and, and then it's just another bad female vampire who's, Banging a male vampire and and it's fucking boring, you know. Just see a bunch of rich, rich vampires hiding in a mansion, just doing nothing, doing nothing but plotting. And well, what do you want? What what are vampires supposed to do? Exactly. It was just, there. We go. It's just boring. It whoop de doo, whoop de doo. I'd rather see an entire movie with Celine's character on the run the entire film. Than, than this movie, just having to go in between this character and that character, hearing him say the same thing over and over again. I, this movie is, when it's all said and done, dude, it's an all, it's a waste of time. Okay. I'd probably give this movie a 3 out of 10. You know? Yeah, it, I'm right there with you. I can't, I it, can't not uh, disagree with that. It's not the worst Underworld movie that I've seen, but it, it still isn't anything <laughs> special. Well, you gave it a 33. Okay. On oh. the Rotten Tomatoes Index. And today uh, it's at uh, 20%. Yep. And I gave it a 45, so you win. All right. So that's all I got. You know, look, man, I like I said, with everything we see, I want it to be good, but it's just not good. Not everything is going to be good. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, moving on. What would you give the movie? Same. Okay. Three. All right. All right. So uh, moving on, my flick of the week is the 2016 film Dog Eat Dog. Um, it is based off a book by Eddie Bunker, who, if anyone knows who Eddie Bunker is, is a crime novelist who was actually a criminal before he became a novelist, and he played Mr. Blue in Reservoir Dogs. Um, he wrote his book, Dog Eat Dog, in 1995, and they finally made it into a movie. Uh, the movie stars Nicolas Cage, uh, Willem Dafoe, and Christopher Matthew Cook, who I don't know what else I've seen Christopher Matthew Cook in, but he's a bald, older, bald, white guy, um... Uh, you know, he, oh, I, he, he is what it is. Anyway, the movie's about three ex-cons, the three actors I just named, who um, get back together after um, another bout in prison and decide to plan some jobs together. And they get wind from a, a, a mafia guy about a big job where if they kidnap this other mafia guy's kid, they can do the ransom thingy thing and, and then... Boom, you know, they can get a bunch of money and everyone's happy, right? So before it gets to that point with the movie, because the movie's really short. It's only an hour and a half with credits. Um, the movie starts off with Willem Dafoe's character, who's named Mad Dog. And this guy is that guy you don't want to know in real life. He's that guy who is a major druggie, um, is always paranoid as fuck, and he just... You you know that if you ever go around him, you're going to be dealing with drama, and he's going to drag you into some shit. Movie starts off with it's three days set before the events of the movie, and he's staying at some girl living girlfriend's house. He's doing a bunch of drugs. He's watching porn on the computer, and she comes home, and she's like, and, you know, this fat blonde lady who you know looks like a welfare mom or something, right? She comes in, she's all. What the fuck are you doing here? Get the hell out of here. I kicked your ass out. He's like, baby, baby, I need a place to stay. And, you know, he schmoozes her, right? And then what happens is she's on her computer planning something for her church um, group. 
and she finds he's got a bunch of fucking porn on there that he was searching. And so it's funny for a second. Then all of a sudden she kicks him out and he starts fucking murdering her. And I mean, it's brutal. He starts murdering her? Yeah, he just starts murdering her. Or murders her. He, he, he ends up murdering her. Yeah, he murders her, but he, I mean, he just starts bashing on her, right? He just starts stabbing the fuck out of her back. And, and he keeps doing it over and over and over. And then her fat daughter comes in. And I have to emphasize this because they, they make these people fat on purpose to show you for some reason, I, the way that they do this. And it's all done in this Guy Ritchie uh, wannabe uh, snatch style. And it doesn't, it, it feels like it's trying too hard to be like Guy Ritchie. Okay. And it's kind of failing. Uh, and that the beginning scene where he kills the mother and then he follows he chases the daughter up to her room and he sticks a, a gun up to the pillow and then they do this stylish guy Ritchie thing with it where he shoots her through the pillow and stuff uh-huh. um it just it leaves a really bad taste in your mouth right from the beginning of the movie and then for the rest of the film you have these three characters you have Willem Dafoe's character who's the main guy uh, I'm sorry, Nicholas Cage's character, who's the main guy. He's like the leader of the group. Willem Dafoe, who's the uh, the loose cannon, and uh, Diesel, who's played by uh, Christopher uh, fucking uh, Matthew Cook, right? And Christopher Matthew Cook, he's like the loyal guy of the group, but he's also unstable as well in a different way. Like he's always calm, but if you touch on the wrong nerve, he could lose his shit. So he's the kind of guy you don't want to rile up. And then Mad Dog is, like I said, the completely one that the, you always know he's going to fuck, do something wrong, right? Right. And then Nicolas Cage is like the leader. And his character's weird because at the beginning of the movie, he does this thing where he's talking about Humphrey Bogart's character for one of his films, right? And this comes into play near the end of the film, and I'll get into that in a moment. But... um the whole movie does this thing where it's it's leading up to them doing the robbery, and then the and then about halfway through, they go in, they do the kidnapping, and everything that can go wrong goes wrong. You know, they end up killing the guy, the guy who who they were supposed to to um, make them pay the ransom on, the father of the baby. Uh-huh. Well, it turns out that guy was scoping out his own house, trying to see if his wife was cheating on him. So he comes in while they're stealing the baby. And they fucking blow his head off. Uh, um, uh, Mad Dog blows his head off with a shotgun. <laughs> and then they don't know this till the next day. And they're like, well, we're fucked, right? And then it does a couple unpredictable things. And I like the unpredictable things that it does. And I don't want to give away what happens with all the characters. But there's this weird thing that happens at the end of the movie where Nicolas Cage's characters, and he takes these two, this, um, this, this religious old black couple hostage in their car. And he has them at gunpoint. And the whole time he's with them, he's talking as Humphrey Bogart, as, you know, the, the, the gangster, you know, right. from like Maltese Falcon or something. And it's so weird and out of place. And it's supposed to make sense. And I would assume that if you read the book or something, it would make way more sense. But we don't have the book. We just have this movie here in front of us. So I don't know what the fuck is going on. And the the, the way the movie ends is... It's anticlimactic. It's it's when 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 the movie is just done. When you when you're done with the whole film, it didn't matter that there was a couple parts that might make you laugh because of how over the top it was, or or how violent it might have gotten at points where there might be some things that are kind of cool in the style that it's done in. But when it's done, you just like these characters are unredeemable in every way whatsoever. You don't give a shit about them at all. Um, and it was kind of pointless to go on this entire journey with him when it's all over with. Right. So Dog Eat Dog is on, uh, currently on Netflix. It is, uh, you know, to see Willem Dafoe act crazy, it's worth it to see just that, to see his character act fucking crazy. Um, so I would recommend seeing Dog Eat Dog. Just don't have high expectations for it. Now, there's some people that loved it. Uh, the movie has a current uh, approval rating of 43% on Rotten Tomatoes. So that's almost like half and half. That critics were about the movie. Um, me personally, if I had to give it a rating, I would probably give it a, I give it a five, maybe a five point five. Okay, um, I, because it it stands out. It definitely stands on its own. You know, stands separate from a lot of other movies of its style. So I will give it that. So check out Dog Eat Dog if you want to. Just don't have any high expectations for it. All right. Okay. So 
Death Wish. Oh, thanks. Thanks for, for stealing my thunder. Appreciate that. It, go on. You're Brian. welcome. I was setting you up. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie B. I don't even know where to begin with this one. <laughs> I haven't seen Death Wish in a long, long time. It's, it came out in 1974, but I haven't seen it since the 80s. Okay. And, <clears throat> I mean, it's actually a really good movie. It starts off with Bronson and his wife, who is played by Hope Lang, and they're on vacation, like, you know, somewhere Hawaii-like, and and just enjoying enjoying their time, yeah. you know. <clears throat> After coming home to New York, now, Bronson plays Paul Kersey, who is an architect, lives in Manhattan with his wife, Joanna, and their daughter, Carol. Um, <coughs> as he's working... Carol and Joanna are in a grocery mart when Jeff Goldblum's character, who looks like, um, oh, he's one of the Archie guys, the dude that ate all the hamburgers, Jughead. Okay. He's He's got the hat, same kind of hat as Jughead's got on yeah. and everything else. All right. And his two friends are running through the supermarket being loud and obnoxious. Okay. You know, knocking shit over. And, and no one's doing anything about it. They're just, they're being hoodlums, right? Uh-huh. So when... Uh, when Carol and Joanna are, are done shopping, what you what used to happen is you could have the groceries delivered, you know, and yeah. you just put the address on there and go. So the hoodlums find pull out the little address card and then follow these two back to the apartment, and they invade the apartment, posing as delivery men, and they kill Bronson's wife and they sexually assault his daughter. Now he's also got a son <coughs> who. There wasn't really much to it. You know, his son was just there as kind of this uh, this this character to play off of, you know, in terms of worrying about the family, worrying about the daughter, Carol, and, and, and the vigilante justice system type of thing, okay? Yeah. So Bronson's character doesn't really know what to do, so he goes back to work. And his boss comes up to him and says, hey, you know, there's a development that's going on in Tucson. We want to kind of have you check it out. These are the plans. It's up to you. You can take an extended vacation as well. You know, just kind of go into it with a relaxed mind. So he goes out there and he starts talking to the owner of this company. Um, It's kind of a weird name, Ames Janechill, who's played by Stuart Margolin. And while, while Bronson is in Arizona, what he does is he basically... Let's his mind go. He lets all the the problems right now go and works on this construction project, this development project. And as he's working on the development project, the character Ames is is becoming friendly with him. They are they're they're hanging out a little bit more together. And he, and Ames finally says, "Hey, you want to go to the club? I don't know if it's going to be your type of club, but." I was going to ask you if you wanted to join me for dinner, and you seem like you're, you know, just working all these long, long hours. You looks like you got something on your mind, and Bronson's all like, "Yeah, I got stuff that's going on, but you know, I, I don't know if I want to. I want to go." He's like, "Come to the club with me, you know. It's, it's different than the clubs you're probably used to in New York." Mm-hmm. And they end up going to a shooting club. So they're there, they're talking. He gives, he gives Bronson a gun to f- test fire. And they build their relationship. And this Ames guy is he's like he he's he's very upfront and he's very uh, conservative or maybe libertarian. And he's basically all up in fucking Bronson's face. He's like, all you guys, all you fucking liberals in New York don't know what it's like out here. It's basically frontier justice. People don't fuck with people with guns, and that's pretty much what keeps this that bullshit from New York in New York. Yeah. And, he, and 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 it starts to sink in. Now Bronson's character is is a conscientious objector to to um, the Korean War, which kind of fits in. We saw Hacksaw Ridge. I thought that was funny. Yeah. And he's also a medic. He so he he played a medic that was in the Korean War, who's a conscientious objector. Huh. So and those really existed. They did. <laughs> so when 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 he when he starts, he he, he tells a little bit about his past. He you know his dad. Handled firearms. His dad was killed by a hunter. His mom was completely against firearms, but he really liked his dad type of thing. Yeah. He, and he let it hang. He's like, but I really love my father. So before he goes back to New York, you know, and the deal is done, 
So Bronson's character puts together this entire deal, puts the model together, <laughs> and shows this development. And the guy you know, Ames like says, "If you guys are into it, I'll I'll buy into it as well." Right. So the deal is complete. It's 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 a um it's lucrative for the for the team anyways. So when before he goes back to uh New York, Ames goes, "Hey, you know, um I got a present for you. Are are you taking this bag onto the airplane or are you checking it?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm just going to check the plane." He's like, "Great." So he puts it into he puts this package into <coughs> the suitcase. Turns out it's a gun, right? You know, it's a thank you gift, right? Yeah. So Bronson when Bronson goes back to New York, he starts to see all the shit that's going on, and it's in his head now. People don't fuck with people that have guns. Yeah. So as he's walking home one night, oh, what he does, the first thing he does is, I'm sorry, I have to cut back. The first thing he does is he he goes to the bank and buys $20 worth of quarters. Okay. Two rolls, right? And puts them in a sock. This is before he goes to Tucson. Okay. And then he, and then one there's a guy that assaults him. He's like, "Hey man, give me your motherfucking money, right?" So he fucking hits him with the sock full of money. Yeah. And then he goes home and he's shaking and he has a drink, and and he's he's his body is like, "I don't like this," but he pulls out the sock and he's he's holding it in his hand. He's like, "But it made me feel powerful, right?" Yeah. You, that's that's what you get out of the scene. Mm-hmm. Well, cut to the, the Arizona shit. He <laughs> comes back from Arizona and now he has a gun, right? Yeah. And he's coming level home. up. <laughs> Motherfucker shoot, you know, he's, um when when he comes back, a mugger tries to steal some stuff from him. God damn, man. <laughs> he needs to leave New York. <laughs> well, in the 70s, New York was really bad. So, he fucking he, and, and the so the mugger tries to rob him at gunpoint and and Bronson kills him. So you're telling me you're realistically telling me that it was that bad in New York that people got mugged all the time. Fuck yeah. Okay, I'll take it. Yeah, it was you. really really bad. Uh people were moving out of New York in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh they were just starting to build the World Trade Center. Yeah. The World Trade Center was getting completed. Mm-hmm. Um there was a lot of lot of fucking bad areas. Uh, most people that were born in the 50s and the 60s in New York left and uh, and then and unfortunately all the hood rats you know all these this bad element doesn't matter black white whatever doesn't matter all mm-hmm. these gangs started moving in yeah <laughs> that's why you got movies like gangs of new york and warriors the warriors and things like that you know cuz it was and you have all these the the uh the bad element the porn the porn the porn shops uh uh drug dens Bad buildings, slum lords, all this other shit. All through, you know, seventies, all through mid eighties, mm-hmm. up until uh, they started redeveloping it in downtown New York and stuff like that. We were there when I was there in <coughs> fuck. I want to say it was in the eighties. Well, me and my parents went back there, and this is like eighty nine, somewhere in that area. Okay, we were over by the Trump Tower, and not two blocks away, someone had gotten shot in the face. And we heard it over the radio. Yeah. You know, someone, you know, don't, we need to cordon off this area. Someone just got shot in the fucking face. Right downtown. Fucking Trump Tower, FAO Schwartz, everything. Yeah. So <laughs> when, so, you know, this is related. You know, this movie relates to a lot of people that grew up in New York. That's why it was such a huge hit. Yeah. You know, Vigilante Justice. And it keeps going on, but the first time he kills somebody, he goes home and pukes. Yeah, you know, like his body's rejecting this. He's he's disgusted. With yeah, the himself. human aspect. Of it. <laughs> but it it starts to escalate, and he would go out and purposely go through different places. Like he would sit on the subway, or he would you know he would go down into areas that were not very nice areas. Yeah, and set himself up so that these gang members would come after him. Yeah. Well, the police get wind of this, that there's a vigilante out there, and then the mayor gets involved. Well, the mayor brings in the police chief and says, we don't want him to go away, but we want him to go away. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And he's like, well, I think I understand. Don't arrest him, but make him go away so that people think that the vigilante's still out there, right? Mm -hmm. So the police start tailing him. (laughs) <laughs> and that ends up with a final confrontation with these three muggers and Paul's character or Bronson's character gets shot. 
And let me guess, it's the three people that, that killed his wife. No. No? No. Okay. No, they, they never show up again after that. Okay, because I, <laughs> you know, like most movies would do that. Yeah, because, again, this is not the 90s. This is the 70s when they actually <laughs> made fucking movies that didn't suck. Okay, okay. I'm, thank you, asshole. Jerk off. <laughs> so, yeah, he's, he, he's, um, uh, he he got stabbed, and that's how they figure out it's him. They they get a blood sample from the knife that stabbed him, and okay. they break in. Well, they kind of break into his apartment. You know, all this illegal bullshit. You know, no warrants or anything else like that. They just go into his apartment. Yeah, and they search his apartment. Improbable cause. <laughs> yeah, and find a blood sample. So they 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 do the blood sample thing, and they're like, well, it's reasonable. That this is the same guy. It's you know we can't. Even though they didn't have DNA back then. Well, they did. Absolutely did. They had, bl- they had blood type. They didn't have DNA. Yeah. No, they did. Don't fucking believe anything you read. They had DNA. They just couldn't match one hundred percent. So, <laughs> they they match blood type, but they think it's they believe it's him. It's it's reasonable, but they never say percentages. It's like we think it is, but no, inadmissible in court. <laughs> no, it's admissible. All right. Anyway, go. So stop interrupting. The but the mayor goes, "Hey, we don't arrest him. Just get him out of the town. Don't let the we don't want him arrested. We don't want the news to figure out that he's the vigilante. If we capture the vigilante, that means that you know he's off the streets. Crime will rise. Yeah. Crime is down from you know like nine hundred and fifty muggings to four hundred and seventeen. It's like half. Yeah. Right." <laughs> and it keeps dropping. So uh, Brosnan's character gets shot, and then he chases after the guy that shot him, um, but the guy gets away. Mm. So he doesn't get killed or anything else like that. Um, John uh, uh, Bronson's character gets picked up by the ho- and taken to the hospital, and they tell him, hey, you got to... The, the chief of police goes, hey, <coughs> I know this is you, and you got to get out of town. And, you know, Bronson's reply is by sundown, you know, because he thinks it's like high noon type of thing. So he ends up going to Chicago where he sees these punk kids attack this lady at the train station. No one's doing anything about it, you know. And then at the end, you see him pointing his finger at the screen. And that's that. Yeah. It's, you know, I like the movie, but it's 70s culture. It's it's hard to. How's the soundtrack? Oh, it's it's not disco soundtrack like waka chicka waka chicka waka chicka. <laughs> but the soundtrack, the, I don't know really how to put it other than it's it's very similar to any '70s TV show where they're doing chases and stuff like that. Yeah, and you got the 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 music and whatever else playing in the background. There's no huge big band stuff. It seems to be more just studio musicians. Yeah, <laughs> but it didn't ever get in the way. Okay. I mean. You would think that, like a movie like this, the first thing I would do is go, "Oh man, the soundtrack was just awful." Mm-hmm. There are some moments where you're like, "Oh wow, it really is not that good," but there are moments in it that the soundtrack, but the, like I said, the soundtrack fits. Yeah. So it's not it's not overly crappy. Okay. It's not shittily done, okay. as you would say. <laughs> um, small budget, three million dollars. You can tell. They only used a handful of locations. One of them, all with like, in any of these fucking you know action movie type things, ends up in a uh, dilapidated quarry or construction site or whatever, right? Yeah. And uh, the movie, look the the way that the movie's written, the way that it's done is not bad. You know, it's just a linear storyline. The son-in-law is, is played by Stephen Keats. <laughs> who's mostly known for um, TV stuff, was only in it up until pretty much... He was in it till the end. Oh, he was in Silent Rage, too, and Black Sunday. But most of his stuff was not very <clears throat> convincing. <coughs> you know, it, it, he was, it's just... M- most of his stuff was just there as, you know, distraction. Oh. Uh. Not really in anything more than, or not really anything more than that. Uh, he was fifty. He was less. He was forty-nine when he died. Suicide. Yeah. So, but where does it say suicide? Cause of death: suicide. It says he was found in his apartment. If you scroll down, right there. 
all the way. Uh, yeah, right there. Manhattan. Oh, there. <laughs> so. so. He's been dead for 22 and a half years. Yep. So, again, I mean, the, the character's useless. He really doesn't bring much to it. But the opening scene where Jeff Goldblum is like, you know, rich cunts must die. Yeah. was fucking hilarious. <laughs> <coughs> because that's the only line he pretty much said in the movie. Yeah. And then they escaped. Oh, he, uh, he also tried to fuck the chick. That's what his job was to say. Rich cunts must die and fuck a and and, and rape the girl. God. That was his. That was his job. All right. But for the most part, look, Death Wish is a really good movie. Um, it's it's fucking violent, and it treats rape like it like most movies nowadays don't. It's it's fucking horribly realistic, and it's um it's it, it was it, it was a hard thing to watch. Mm-hmm. Because it it the way that they did it um, was brutal. Like the girl, the the, the Carol, the daughter. Uh. Like they spray painted her. They literally spray painted her asshole. Ugh. You know, and then uh, all this other shit that's going on. The guys like you know, shut up! I'm gonna fuck you in your ass. You that's where you're gonna take it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like holy crap, man! This is this is. It, Whoever wrote this opening scene, this this part of the opening scene, yeah. <coughs> they weren't holding back. No, they were not. You know, and you could see fucking Goldblum just beating the shit out of you know Hope Lang's character. Yeah, and and you don't even know what he's using. It looks like he's just punching her. You know, and they're kicking him and all this other shit. Yeah. So it's the, the scene. The scene portrays this this assault realistically, almost. Yeah. And it's it like I said, it's a very hard thing to watch, and I'm not, I'm not glorifying it in any way, but um, it's very effective. Yeah, thank you. It's 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 very effective. Um, this movie needs to be seen. That's pretty much what I'm trying to say. Is uh, Bronson's, you know, Bronson's uh, <coughs> character is well written. Yeah, the entire movie is well written. Actually, it's just uh, because it's a '70s movie. I you know. It it was a huge hit. I don't think it's very easy for people that are used to watching these huge blockbuster action movies or these movies that actually have very little plot or interest, you know, like Underworld or whatever. Yeah. <coughs> uh, care w- would care to see these movies because it just doesn't have the you know it's not the nonstop action. There's actual fucking dialogue and and downtime. Look, if if you are a movie fan and you have you take the time to watch something like Taxi Driver, you know, or things similar like Mean Streets, yep. then you should take the time to watch Death Wish. Absolutely. Ugh. <laughs> so. All right, so uh the next movie that we will, we will be talking about on Cinescape movie reviews is going to be the Ben Affleck directed and starring <laughs> vehicle Live by night. Live by night. Live live by night. Live live. Live live by night. So we'll be talking about that film. We'll let you know how good it is or how bad it is. Whatever else comes over our freaking heads, our flicks of the week, all that good shit. Happy New Year. Yeah. Joe Spiegel. Mike Sutherland. When that, uh, we need to talk about um, urban myths. You want to talk about it now? No, no, no. Next time. All right. Huh. All right. All right. So we'll say good night. Good night, motherfucker. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Uh huh. Uh huh. Good show! Jolly good show! Jolly good show indeed! Hakuna Matata, bitches! Well, that's the end of the show. Thank you for listening. And please remember share the podcast. Hey, hey, hey. What is it, Joe? Yeah. You see that little button over there? Yeah? Yes. Oh, you got what do? button? The little share button. Which button is that? It says share. Sometimes it's a little arrow that goes in a circle. Regardless, it's there. Or more. So share. Share. Share that podcast. Click that shit. <laughs> it's simple. Please. We put we do put some work into this. Not a lot. Not a lot. Not as much as we should. But still, all you have to do is click the share button. Yeah. Click anything that says share. Like on our movie reviews, there's a Facebook share and a Google Plus. Pick one. We prefer Facebook, but, you know. Spread the love. Help us grow. Spread the love, and we will spread our legs open for you. No, we won't. I take showers.
Well, what is that one? Show the balls. <laughs> Open your balls. Open your balls. <laughs> show, uh, yeah, share, share, the, share the show. Share the hell out of it. <laughs> share. Give her some love. I sound like little Nikki. <laughs> Have a good night. Share. <laughs> this is the end. This is the end. Finito! The end, I tell you! We're all going to nibble the dust! Or go fuck yourself.